Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Cersei to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, before we get into the message today, a couple quick things. Uh, we've been talking uh, the last couple of weeks about how uh, we are putting an emphasis in 2024 uh, as, as our church, at least our campus, on bringing a physical Bible. Uh, you know, there's just something special. It, it means you're not distracted by notifications and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we've been talking about how to take notes in it and things like that. And so hopefully you're doing that. Come on, if you got an actual paper in your hand, can y'all hold it up in the air real quick? Come on, look at this. Come on. That's amazing. Listen, uh, if, you, if you didn't bring it and you don't know what we're talking about, uh, it's not too late to start. Um, and if you do not have one, if you say, Craig, uh, I don't have one at all, like I've looked all over my house, I don't have one, we want to help provide you one. And so you can scan this code, you can text search to the 88,000, and we're going to send you one or get you one. Uh, if you've already scanned this code over the last couple of weeks, we have ordered the first batch, and so you can expect that this week. Uh, so we'll reach out to you and let you know. Uh, how to get that, or if you can just pick it up on Sunday, but we've got those coming to you. So if you need one, we don't want you to be without one, and so please scan that code and let us know. Uh, we'd love to help. Um, Kevin and uh, the family, and with several other families at our campus, there's a national cheerleading competition. Kevin is not competing. Um, <clears throat> make that very clear. Uh, Riley and the Cersei High Cheer team are competing at Nationals, and so they've been doing that all weekend. They're heading back later tonight, and so uh, we just want to wish them the best heading back into town. And then lastly, um, next week we start a brand new series in Mark, and uh, we're going to be doing a, a lot of um, uh, uh, stuff like this throughout the year. Uh, you see right there, we, if you got one of the Rooted Guided books uh, last week or during the last series, we're going to be doing that a lot for every series. This link right here, if you scan this, sends you to a digital, free digital, you can have it on your phone, version of this guide. But if you're like, hey, I love the paper, I love that, you know, just having something physical, those will be available on Amazon like the rooted ones were. And you can get those, I think they're five bucks. Uh, but the link for that's not quite live yet. Amazon is being what I call in my house a turd. So, um, don't tell Kevin I said that on stage on a Sunday. But uh, so as soon as we get all that worked out, those will be available for, for, to get on Amazon as well. Uh, so you're going to see us. We're, we're, we're really focusing in on Scripture this year. And so uh, that's why you're kind of seeing all this stuff. Now, uh, if you want, go ahead and go with me to John chapter 15. We're wrapping up our Rooted series today. And while you're going there, I need, I need to say something. Some of you may be like, Craig, you sound a little bit different uh, I have been fighting off some, just, just some laryngitis-y, throaty, head coldy stuff uh, all week. I I've been telling Lauren, I I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Uh, but it is affecting my voice. And so uh, <clears throat> I grew up Assembly of God. And so if at some point halfway through this thing, my voice goes out, we're just going to have a worship day. Um, and we'll just have a four-hour altar call. Okay, that's, that's going to be the game plan. But usually when I lose my voice, it happens in one of two ways. I either get like the Batman voice, you know, like it just goes that low. Or I sound like I'm going through puberty. 
And that's what y'all get today. So sorry if my voice cracks and it sounds like I'm 13 again. Hey, by the way, 13-year-olds, sorry. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Um, John chapter 15. Uh, Kevin mentioned we have done this series before. We did this, I think it was a year ago uh, this week. Uh, we did this series. And ironically enough, last time we did this series, I spoke the third week of the series. And uh, I showed a video. I want to go ahead and show that video real quick, this first video. I showed this. Because a year ago, uh, this was our last little sneak peek of our daughter before she made her appearance. And so fast forward a year, and now we get this video. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that video goes on for eight minutes. Just that noise making her laugh that hard for eight minutes. That's our life right now. Uh, a lot's happened in a year. Uh, we have learned a lot in the last year of being parents. Um, she turns a year old next month. It's hard to believe that, but we've learned a lot. And so I'm going to share some of the things we've learned over the past year. So if you're a parent, maybe you can, uh, you, can uh, you know, you understand where we're coming from. But something I didn't know till after we had a kid, baby's joints pop. No, you don't read that in a baby book. So imagine the first time that happens, you freak out. Like, oh my gosh, I just broke my daughter's arm. Like, no, their joints just pop. It happens. Google searches. They either comfort you and put your mind at ease or think your child has a medieval disease. <clears throat> One word, bluey. Just so good. Um, and we are older first-time parents. So if you don't know our story, I'll tell it to you some other time. I don't have time for it today, but... Uh, when, when Ellie was born, me and Lauren had been married for 12 years. That was not the game plan. Uh, we're, we're in our you know, mid to late 30s right now, and we, we, we had a plan. We got married. We're like, okay, five years, we'll have a kid. And then about a year and a half into it, we're like, maybe we could do it right now. You know? And no, that's just not how it happened. A decade goes by. Uh, and so we're older first-time parents, and there's some pros and cons to being older first-time parents. Pro. Uh, we are more financially stable than we were in our early 20s. Uh, con, we have less stable bones, joints, muscles. Um, picking her up constantly. Last, last, uh, last month, um, I, was, I, I, I was sick, and I sneezed, and I threw out my back. And I blame her for that. <laughs> because that did not happen uh, a couple of years ago. But one of the biggest things we have learned as parents is that it really does take a village. It really does help to have people in your corner. We are incredibly thankful to have each other, our parents, uh, our, our friends who are going through this with us. Uh, we have a very close couple uh, who are in a similar situation, also married 12 years, also kind of battled infertility and not knowing if it was ever in the, in the cards for them. They ended up having their baby two months before Ellie was born. So we have somebody to go with it through. Um, we've, we've got a great church family and life group who are, here, or who are there with us. And listen, if you are a single parent in this room, can we give it up for single parents? Because I don't know how y'all do it. I don't know how you do it. There are so many times that Lauren and I go, I don't, if it was just me or just you, I don't know that we would keep this child alive. Like, so shout out to all the single parents. You guys are the real heroes. And hopefully, if you're here, you have a village. 
Hopefully you have a community, you have a group of people in your life, and hopefully that village of yours includes a strong church family. And as a pastor here at this church, I hope it's this church, but maybe you're a college student and you're not from here and you're just trying to find a home away from home. We want to be that for you. But if you're just church shopping and you're trying to figure out where to land, find a place and get rooted in community. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk about being rooted in the church, being rooted in biblical community. And listen, when I talk about church, I'm talking about capital C church, okay? This is not a 20-minute advertisement for New Life Church. Um, I've said this before, but if, if I was not on staff here, I would still attend here because this is just, for me and my family, this is kind of our vibe. This is what we're looking for. This is home for us. But this is not <clears throat> directed just to New Life Church. The words that Jesus says in John 15 that we're going to dive into for a little bit, he was not just saying to NLC or NLC Cersei. He was saying it to First Baptist. He was saying it to uh, Downtown Church of Christ. He was saying it to the person in their pajamas watching online right now. He was saying it to everybody, the agnostic. He was telling everybody these words. So it doesn't just apply to this group of 500 people gathered in a room today in this building. But Craig, some of you may be saying... You can, you can be a Christian without being in church. Like you can, you can still be a follower of Jesus. And yes, that is true. But the question is, can you sustain it? You can become a Christian. You can become a follower. But can you sustain it? Over the last few years, there has been a, the best word I could describe is a big disconnect when it comes to the church. Barna Group says that one in three practicing Christians dropped out of church completely during COVID-19. One in three. A Gallup poll said that church membership in the U.S. has dropped below 50% for the first time in 2020. First time ever, church membership dropped below 50%. Pew Research said 63% of Americans describe themselves as Christians. <clears throat> now that is down from 75% a decade ago. The other faiths category uh, is holding steady at 6%, but the nuns, and I'm not like talking Catholic nuns, I'm talking N-O-N-E-S, the I don't affiliate with any religion at all, has gone up to 10%. And here's the amazing thing. I dug into it a little bit more. I did a little bit more digging around in research. So the amount of, of Americans that describe themselves as Christians has gone down 12% in 10 years. I was like, well, I wonder what some of the other things are that have happened in that 10 years. And did you know that, ironically, Gallup did a poll and said that depression in the United States has gone up by 11.5% in that same span of time. Now, I know some of you may be here or watching online or, or looking back at this later and say, well, I'm sure there's a lot of factors. We had COVID, we had all these things. And I'm sure there are. But to me, that's, that's not a coincidence, I don't think. The fact that people say, I'm going to take a step away from the church, but yet depression rates increase by nearly the same amount. There's a story, and I've told this story last year when I did this series. D.L. Moody, he was an evangelist in the 1800s, and he was speaking, and he was doing church stuff, and he met a man at church one day, and that man invited him over to his home. He went to his house and they had a fire going in the fireplace and the guy said, you know, he was talking about this very thing. I don't think you have to be in church, like involved. I don't think you have to, to, to pass a plate and serve kids ministry and do all this kind of stuff in order to, to, to be a Christian. And, and DL says nothing. 
but he just grabs a fire poker, he goes over the fire and he kind of knocks a coal out of the fireplace onto the stone floor. Silent, just says nothing. And the guy I'm sure is going, well, what you doing, bro? And he goes, he just, he just lets it sit there. Slowly and slowly, that very hot, red, hot coal starts to get darker and darker. And before long, it gets cool to the touch and he just can pick it up. And the guy can see, he's like, okay, I get what you're trying to say. When the coal gets away from the fire, it eventually goes out. And that's how a lot of us are. We can be on fire for Jesus and step away from community, step away from church, step away from people who believe in you and are trying to encourage you the best they can. And you may not feel it. You may stop going. Say you just leave this building and don't go back to church ever again. You give up on life group. You give up on serve teams. You give up on, on friends who, are, who are, are, are believers. You give up on all that stuff. Guess what? Next week, you may not notice anything. Next week, you may feel the exact same way. But a month from now, a month from now, you may feel a little bit different. A year from now, if you were to look at yourself, a side-by-side comparison between you now and you a year from now, the difference would be staggering. Because when we are isolated, when we have pulled ourselves away, the fire goes out. The truth is, we have become a culture of spiritual nomads, if you don't know what a nomad is, a nomad is simply someone who, who, it's a people group, who have no permanent home. They go around from place to place to place, seeking food, seeking shelter, temporary areas to give them sustenance, to let them survive long enough to go to the next place. And there are so many of us who are going from place to place, thing to thing, person to person. Church to church, emotion to emotion, we're riding the highs, we're just trying to find things because we don't want to deal with our own things, our own demons, our own insecurities, our own situations. We don't want to plant roots and do the work and cultivate the thing that God has given us. Instead, we take the easy route and we go from place to place to place. So how can we get rooted in healthy, Jesus-centered relationships and stay rooted. For that, we gotta go to the Word. So John 15. John 15, I'm, I'm gonna do what Kevin did last week and say let's hold these, these verses up a little bit so people who can, who can get there. We're gonna start in verse nine. I'm gonna take a sip of my tea. I never bring stuff like this up here, but you'll thank me in a minute. John 15 Verse 9 through 12 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you have a physical Bible or you're taking notes, I want you to underline or do something every time you see the word love in this. As the Father loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And it leads me to the first point of this message, three practical things to help us out to to have healthy roots in the church. And the first one is this, you have to know what love is. First things first, you are welcome for having that foreigner song stuck in your head the rest of the day. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Go look it up, young people. Um, You're lucky I don't have a voice. I'd sing it for you guys right now. In those four verses, Jesus mentions love seven times. It's safe to say that this is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. The love that Jesus is talking about is not just an affectionate kind of love. It's not just the kind of love a spouse would have for for their spouse. It's a commitment. It's a promise. To use a biblical word, it is a covenant with somebody. And it's what the church should be built on. The church should be built on love. Had somebody, I had a conversation this week with somebody and said, well, Craig, what, if, I, if I have somebody I know, they have a different lifestyle than I do, maybe they have different beliefs than I do, how, how should I treat that person? How should I approach that person? And you know what the answer is? You love them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what, what their theology is. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. You love them because that's what Jesus does. Do you have to agree with their lifestyle or their theology or their doctrine or their background? No. Should you cave? No. You need to stand in truth, but it doesn't mean you stop loving. The church should be built on love. This is so strong. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, anyone who does not love doesn't even know God because God is love. So if you have a hard time loving people, Loving the church, loving the people in the church, loving the people outside of the church. Guess what? You don't even know God. You can know every verse. You can, you can, you can memorize scripture. But if you do not love people, you don't know who God is. Bob Goff says in, in his book, Love Does, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter. And I love that because we can get so caught up and say, I got to get, get my Instagram girl devotional in on the morning, right? Like get the right light outside on the patio, Bible open, cup of coffee, right vibe, music playing in the background. This is what I got to do every day. And that's great if that works for you. But if you've done all that stuff but are not loving people the rest of the day, that one moment doesn't matter a whole lot because you don't even know who God is. We gotta love people. Now, there's a difference between loving people and liking people. Amen, anybody? (laughs) My biggest pet peeve is when I'm driving and and somebody pulls out in front of me. But it's not just that. It's the people who pull out in front of me, stay in my lane going 10 miles below the speed limit. It's not even just that. It's the people who do that. When I look in my rear view mirror, there's nobody behind me for a mile. You could have waited 20 seconds. Come on, somebody, okay. I don't like that person in that moment. But put yourself, we used to play this game. This wasn't even in my notes. We used to play this game when I was a kid. My mom, it was less of a game and more of a teaching moment, I'm sure, for my mom. But anytime something like that happened, my mom would go, you don't know their story. Like, mom, I just want to be mad right now. Well, what if they had a really bad day? What if they just found out a loved one passed away? What if they just lost their job? Mom, I want to be mad. But we don't. And so if that person that pulled out in front of us made us so mad, if we see them have a wreck four minutes later, liking is saying, I'm mad at you right now. Love is saying, I'm gonna pull over and help that person. You don't have to like people every moment of every day and be the happiest person on earth. God gave us emotions for a reason, but love goes beyond emotion. 
Love says, I know there is grace because if God loves you, I love you. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna live differently. You're gonna do things differently than I would. You're gonna do things that I don't think are right, but I love you regardless because that's what Jesus would do for us. But instead, we often choose convenience over deep commitment. We look at things and say, well, that's, that's easier to, to just be mad at it than to work on a relationship. But it's in real love Real love for somebody, that we have deep covenant relationships with one another, that we experience a richness in God and community that we didn't even know was possible. Now, I've been doing church for a long time. I've been a pastor now. It's hard to believe this. I've been full-time pastor for over 10 years now. I've been involved in some capacity in church leadership for over 15. And I can tell you this from experience, because I am one of the people who stand up here and who meet with people Guess what, <clears throat> newsflash, uh, pastors aren't perfect. <laughs> but it's true, look around the row that you're sitting on. The people on that row are not perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect and is gonna ace it every time. We're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna flub up, we're gonna miss things. It's not gonna be perfect, but that's why we don't look at the people in the church as the ultimate authority, amen? We look at God as the ultimate authority. And God has said, I love everybody in here. We need to do the same thing, love, grace. To have healthy roots in the church. Number two, you need the right perspective. You need the right perspective. John 15, verses 13, we're gonna keep going on. The same text, 13 through 15 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying he wants us to have the right perspective of him and his church. In the same way I just said, like, <clears throat> people are not perfect. We need to have that right perspective. That if somebody wrongs you in the church, or if somebody disagrees with you, or doesn't check in on you, or something like that, it's not because they don't love you, they don't care about you. They just missed it, because we're people. We need to have that perspective. And the same thing goes with God. We need to have the appropriate view of Jesus. When you have the appropriate view of God, you read scripture a little bit differently. When you have the view of, I am not David in the David and Goliath story, but I'm viewing the story of David and Goliath as look what God did, it changes how you read scripture. We don't insert ourselves into the story. We are in awe of what God did through the story. We have to have the view of God of, God, you are you are incredible, you are awesome, and I get to be friends with you, just like this verse says. He's not a, we're not servants. Do we serve him? Absolutely. But a servant gets told what to do. And while we serve God, this isn't the relationship God wants. We, we are not slaves to a divine dictator who's waiting on us to fail. Instead, he calls us friend. Everybody say friend. He calls us friend. We have the same command, but he lets us in on the why. He tells us the why it's important. He tries to teach us something along the way. He wants to share his heart. 
I've used this example before, but if you're a sports fan, then you know about there's two distinct positions in most sports. You have a referee or an official, umpire, somebody who's um, enforcing the rules. And then you have a coach, a manager, who is over here. Their job is to make their team the best team possible. And a lot of us have a view of God that could either be defined as the referee or the coach. And if you have, they seem so close together because they both know the rule book. They're both trying to follow the rules to the best they can. But there's a big difference between these two. The referee doesn't care about you, doesn't care about your team's success, doesn't care about whether you win or lose. His only job is to enforce the rules. And yes, if you make a mistake, he will punish you for it. Flag on the play, strike, whatever. He's going to call it how he sees it. The coach, on the other hand, does care about you. The coach wants to see you succeed. Within the framework of the rules, sure, but wants to see you succeed because when you succeed, the entire team succeeds. So yeah, we're gonna follow the rules, but I'm gonna let you know why the rules matter. I'm gonna let you know how to play within the rules. I wanna build you up. I'm gonna make you a better player. I'm gonna share my heart with you. We're gonna have meals together. We're gonna sit down together. That's what a coach does. So what kind of view do you have of God? Is it the kind of view that looks only at God as a referee, just ready to throw the flag and to penalize you? Or is it of a coach that, God, you wanna make me better? You, you see the plans you got for me. You wanna make me better. And the key difference in those two things is trust. I trust my coach. If you follow Arkansas Razorback sports, we don't trust referees <laughs> at all. But it must we trust except for this year, right? I trust my coach. He's got my best interest in mind. I trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. Trust him. Lean into it. Say, I don't understand everything, but I, I have, I like to call it a relationship equity. I do it when, a lot when I teach other leaders. I talk about relationship equity. When I get to know you, when I build up a relationship with you, I'm investing into that. I'm pouring into that. So when the time comes when I do need to make a withdrawal, I've got something there to pull from. God wants to do that with you. He wants you and him to have a relationship. It's not a dictatorship, it's a relationship. And when we have that same view with other people, that it's about building relationship with people, you can't expect somebody to treat you like a king or a queen if they don't know who you are. Um, being a parent now for a year, yeah, I'm gonna talk about my kid again, sorry. But I, I've noticed there are people I know and trust that I will let hold or discipline or do different things to my kid. And there are people I don't. You wanna know what the difference is? If I know them, they have a lot more leash. If I don't know that person, why do you want to hold my baby? I want you to think about that for just a second. So many times we are, we are wondering, why are they not letting me in? They don't know you. They don't know you. So if you're looking for community, you've gotta build up relationship. You gotta have the right perspective of people. You gotta have trust. 
And you gotta build up trust. How many of you guys have ever done virtual reality? Show of hands if you've ever done anything virtual reality before. Come on, show, put them up high real quick. Having you put them up higher was just giving me a break to take another drink. A little inside baseball for you. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, David has one of those Oculus things, and he brought it by, and, and me and David Johnson, wherever he's at, and Kevin were playing around with it. And David goes, dude, y'all got to try this thing called the plank. And I'm like, that sounds exciting. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you, you, you walk out on this piece of wood. And I'm like, virtual reality has got a long ways to go. Uh, but he said, no, no, put it on. And so he put it on first and he showed it because you could see what he was seeing on his phone. So he, he put it on and he showed us what he was doing. Go ahead and put that picture up. This is what we saw. Yeah. And um, he, he put it on and you, you start out at the bottom and you go in an elevator and it takes you all the way up. And then the door opens and again, virtual reality looks super real. Everywhere you look is that. And the door is open and there's just a plank of wood going out into the nothingness. And he said, and all you gotta do is just walk out on it. I'm like, oh gosh, no. <laughs> but he did it for a little bit and then like you can base jump from it. So like he's walking out, he goes, <sighs> if you didn't catch that was we, but in a higher pitch, but you can hear it. And he just goes, I'm like, oh gosh. And I have a fear of heights. So he did it. He has the Oculus. He's done this a hundred times. He's fine with it. He gave it to Johnson, who also apparently has one. Johnson's out there going da-da-da-da-da, like doing the gritty on it or something like that. And then he, 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 he base jumps off of it. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm in a living room. So I put it on, the door opens, wet myself a little bit, and I, I take a step. And I am shaking, like I am shaking, stepping out on this piece of wood. Like I, I know everywhere around me is floor. <laughs> I know that in my brain. But the other part of my brain that apparently has the emotions did not know this. It took everything I had to, to make this little motion to get out there. And then David and Johnson are like, jump off. I'm like, no, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, 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 I walked back this way, I closed the elevator door, and I went back like a normal human being, okay? By the way, Kevin did it right after me, didn't even make it out the elevator door. He just didn't even, he didn't even try it. Why couldn't I do it? It's because, yeah, I had every reason to trust my instincts. I knew I was inside on a floor, but something in me could not trust it. Couldn't trust it. Something in my brain said, don't trust this. You will fall, you will die, okay? I couldn't do it. And this is how our relationship with God is so often. We know he's good. We know he's got us. We know he's worth it. We know it'll be fun. We know our relationship with God will lead us to highs we've never experienced before. We have every reason to trust God, but when it comes time to take that step, there is something inside of us that goes, no, church hurt. No, you've, you've done, you, oh, you know what's gonna happen. When it comes time to have a relationship with somebody, be in a life group, join a serve team, just get to know somebody else in the church, we go, oh, I can't, I know I should, but I just can't do it. It's too real. It's getting too real too fast. 
Sometimes we got to know and trust God that he's got it. He's got us. We're not going to fall. If I took that step, I was not in peril. I was not in danger. The floor had me. But sometimes it's such a big hurdle. And listen, I get it. It is a big hurdle to get over. I believe you. And I know how hard it is. So what do we have to do if we have that hurdle? You got to talk to somebody. Well, Craig, that means opening up. That's the only way to get over it. Try, try again. The reason David and Johnson could do it so well, they've done it many times. I'm sure if you ask them the first time they did it, oh my goodness, heart up in their throat. I'm sure they wet themselves too. But it takes time. Take a step. If you're gonna fall, fall falling forward. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down two questions. Then I'm gonna move on to my third point. We'll get out of here. First question is this. Do I have the right view of God? Do I have the right view of God? And secondly, am I trusting him with what he has for me? Do I have the appropriate view of God? Am I, do I look at him as a coach or a referee? Does he have my best interest? Do I believe that? And then what he's given me, am I trusting him with those things? And finally, number three, to have healthy roots in the church, we must bear fruit. John chapter 15, moving on through that chapter. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and, underline this, bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. When you have healthy roots in the church, you bear a fruit that will last. <clears throat> and it's easy to think that we are creating this fruit, right? You say, okay, I've, I've, I've loved people, I'm invested, I'm following what God wants. And so now I've gotta, I gotta create this fruit. I gotta, I gotta do this work. The amazing thing is, if you read that verse again, it says, I chose you, appointed you, so you can go and bear fruit. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This word bear in Greek, the original text, means to carry or to bring forward. Here's the, here's the thing. We are not creating this fruit. We are not making it. We are bringing what Jesus has created. We are bearing what he has. He says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then this is the command to go love one another. The fruit we're given is the fruit of the Spirit. He's given us hope and love and all these, all these things to, to take and then give and to go bear it to bring it to other people, to carry it, to move forward with it. We are not generating a movement. We are joining one. And the reason why, for me at least, as I read this, it's so impactful, man, it takes so much pressure off. 
for me personally, it takes so much pressure knowing I don't have to have everything together. I don't have to come up with all these different ways to do all the different things. I'm literally just taking what Jesus has given me and saying, here, you want some? Here. Here, I, I got some for you too. Here. And just giving it away. And we have to do this together. It takes more than one person to accomplish this. We got to do it together by loving one another, being in community with each other, having a meal together, praying with each other, laughing together, crying together. Together we, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I don't have it on the screen. But together we bear fruit. Apart we wither and die. Together we bear fruit. Apart we wither. God wants us to do this thing together. We were made for community. Adrian mentioned cabin fever. Look, I bet a lot of you in this room, if you were cooped up for a couple days, were ready to see people. You're ready to see some other people. And some of you are like, no, I could have gone another three weeks without seeing a soul. Yeah, you could have gone maybe another three weeks. At some point, though, you're going to crave people. It just may take you a little longer. Kevin referenced the, the show Alone last week. And it's funny because in that show alone, the thing that usually gets people is not their survival skills. It's their desire for other people. That's why the show is so captivating because they're alone. There's not even camera crew. They are by themselves and it gets to people. When you get to 40, 50 days, you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to see somebody. I just want to see my family. It doesn't matter who it is. I just want interaction with another person. So a solitary confinement is the most brutal form of torture because we were not made to be isolated. We were made for community. I want you guys to bow your heads this morning. I'm wrapping up.